He's earned decades of Wall Street success, a lifelong student of the market who learned to navigate the world of finance with unshaking confidence, an underdog who achieved the American dream. Now the Fox Business host is sharing all his investing wisdom with you on Charles Payne's Unstoppable Prosperity Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Charles Payne's Unstoppable Prosperity Podcast. Fox Business's Making Money host and financial expert is not done helping you gain more confidence in the world of investing. In this third season, Charles is going even further for listeners, explaining the ins and outs of becoming unbreakable as an investor in the markets. 2024 is here, and that means a presidential election is on the horizon. Charles is a lifelong student of the market, and he knows firsthand that investing during an election year can be tough and confusing. So in these episodes and in his January 18th town hall, Charles will help you navigate this uncertain economic landscape. I'm Madison Allworth. And I'm Lydia Hu. Today, the three of us together will have a roundtable discussion focused on what Americans need to know about investing during an election year and Charles's best advice for becoming an unbreakable investor. Charles Payne, let's get into it. So, Charles, you have been a financial expert for decades. You've covered many presidential elections. Just set the table for us. How do presidential elections usually impact the stock market and the economy at large in a normal time? And how is that different for 2024? I'm glad you made that distinction because um, I think 2024 is going to be so much more pivotal in terms of a presidential election and, and, and the impact on the economy and even who we are. You know, we've heard presidents and recent presidents talk about um, changing the paradigm, you know, changing America, sort of re redoing America. And I think uh, I think the reelection of, of President Biden would be a major step in that direction uh, toward a more socialist type of system, universal basic income, modern monetary theory and, and those sort of things that you know, quite frankly, ushered in uh, runaway inflation and, and the kind of instability that people don't want. Uh, you layer that with the fact that AI is going to make its its presence felt um, and in a profound way that will have an impact, I think, on the labor market itself. That's going to create an opportunity, an economic opportunity to pounce and promote a different form. Of, you know, you hear every candidate says, I'm a capitalist, but a lot of times you hear them say, I'm a capitalist, but... You, know, you can make too much money. It's ironic. President Obama used to say that a lot. Now he's got like a $50 million house. But uh, be that as it may, <laughs> um, in the past, there are two ways I've seen elections impact the market. First are the implications. And remember, the markets move before things change. It's supposed to be a forward-looking mechanism. So to move six months, a year out, what they think will happen. So and, I, and this is why I have a real problem when a lot of times you'll see folks say, well, under the Democrats, the market did this, and under Republicans, it did that, because that's not the starting point. The inauguration day isn't the starting point. It's when that person maybe had an insurmountable lead that left that summer prior in the polls. That's when the economy starts moving. That's when big businesses start making decisions. And, and, and so it, it's so interesting because, give you an example, President Obama, when he won, the market collapsed. Uh, between the time he won and the time he was inaugurated. Now, that went on the prior prior president's record, but that was really about him and, and the anxieties over him. Conversely, 
When Trump won, immediately, immediately, things like the NFIB, the Small Business Index, rocketed higher. Things like the um, Home Builders Association Index, I mean, immediately. I think one of those, I think it's the Home Builders, they do it twice a month. The second half of November of that year, it rocketed higher. So things happened before. So it's hard to just say, well, you know, from an uh, inauguration day to the last day in office, this is what this president did or the market did, because that's not true. And people need to understand that, that the market is going to begin to react well before the outcome of the election, unless it's a complete nail-biter. And in that case, you know, for Trump, uh, you know, I think one of the reasons, um, you know, you didn't, we had such sharp initial reactions because he was everyone thought he was going to lose, right? So that was the overwhelming uh, belief then. And it, it was interesting because the things that did well uh, during his election uh, against Hillary Clinton – were, were areas that they both would have been somewhat friendly toward, you know. So, you know, I, like I was I was betting on, on companies that make manufacturing or construction clothes, things like that, you know. Um, so it, it's, 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 it is interesting, but it makes a big difference in your portfolio. It really, really does. So I just caution people not to kind of fall like, oh, well, you know, markets have done this, because that's not when we should start really monitoring this, because the impact this starts long before the outcome of the election, the official outcome of the election. Well, so I'm so glad that you're bringing that up because it's January 2024. It is officially the election year, but we are months away from the actual election. But polling is out. We're starting to see certain candidates, obviously, pull far ahead. I love that you brought up 2016 and the different companies that you were investing in there that maybe would have done well with either candidate. Looking at this year and the current candidates we have, Trump is definitely far ahead in the GOP field, and then Biden is uh, the Democratic nominee. Are there any companies or sectors you're looking at for this year while we start to see the first early states voting and things like that? Well, I think one thing that won't change is the so-called protectionism. Um, you know, uh, you know. listen, it's our friends in the building, the uh, Wall Street Journal crowd hates, <laughs> hates this to- they hate this topic, right? They love offshoring. Uh, you know, because you fatten up those corporate profits, and that's what we all live for. Uh, but I think neither president, uh, neither candidate would um, necessarily try to change. I don't think either one would be eager to send manufacturing back to China, mm-hmm. right? I don't think either would uh, be eager to 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 do anything that's perceived as sending jobs offshore. Uh, you know, and and to be quite frank, this is a had been a weakness for Republicans. I think you know. Uh, because I believe both parties, the establishment in both parties, have misguided, misled their uh, their constituents. And in this case, I think Republicans for years got away with convincing folks that somehow sending still manu- still plants to China was a great for the heartland, you know, and, and people in the heartland would vote for them. It was nuts. They, you know, the whole thing was hollow out. Um, and speaking of which, I, if Nippon Steel is allowed to buy U.S. Steel, that could be a huge blow to President Biden. Yeah. So, I haven't heard the administration say anything about it, but that could be a monumental blow if they allow that to happen. Especially since I've seen them you know, scuttle much smaller, insignificant deals. You know, mm-hmm. I remember when Obama scuttled um, Staples merging with Office Depot or something like that. Like uh, you know, on the on the ver- on the edge. As the inflation, as in, as the internet was taken off, you know, mm-hmm. you knew combined there was no way they can compete against the internet. Let them let let them join forces and try to survive a little longer. So, right. um, I, I think there are certain areas, particularly in trade, though. I think anything associated with trade, 
um, the, the, will, will probably not be impacted. I mean, okay. they're trying to break up Amazon and prevent the sandwich monopoly, you know, with the merger of Jimmy John's and Subway and everything. You think they may be, could be able to do something about U.S. Steel, but I guess we'll have to. We'll, wait. we'll see. We'll see, though. I, I just think it's a huge mistake. If, we're, if, if it's inevitable that we're going to go to war or have a major skirmish with China, uh, you know, I think we want to have the ability to to build aircraft carriers and things mm-hmm. like that without getting permission from uh, from China and, and now, of course, Tokyo. Great point. Uh, I want to ask you about talks about a recession, too, because that's front and center for so many investors, right? We've managed to avoid it this year. I think the question that's on everyone's mind is, are we going to see a recession in 2024? But from the investing perspective, you know, with the presidential election on everyone's mind, how does an election factor in to whether or not we are predicting a recession? And then also from the investing perspective, how do you how do you plan for that? Are you able to play both sides of that fence? Well, you you can. Uh, you have been able to. Usually these election years, I think the, the market's up about six percent, something like that is usually up uh, up until the election itself. Often uh, the incumbent party finds a way to pour extra money into the economy to kind of spur the numbers, even if it's just temporary. Um, uh, in this particular case, it's 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 a little tougher. Uh, go back, uh, I think October, when the market started to get its footing from that summer pullback, when it was really starting to really fall apart in the summer. One of the first key things that happened was the Treasury Department uh, put out their their goals for raising money and how they would raise money. And Janet Yellen essentially made the shift from bonds to bills because those bond auctions were really starting to hurt the stock market because there were no buyers. And because there were no buyers, the yields were going higher. Uh, Because if the Fed's not buying and China's not buying and Japan's not buying, you're in trouble. Uh, And so now they're doing the bills, more bills. They're still doing big government, gargantuan government, and, of course, the sad part about that is the bills actually cost us, the American taxpayer, more money because you got to pay them off more frequently. This is one thing if someone buys a 10-year bond, but they keep buying three-month uh, T-bills and five, you know, six-month T-bills. But it was a calculated thing. And the, but the market shared because anything that would stop bond yields from going higher was important. Uh, so that was one of the first things. Um, the recession part is really, really tough because we have back-to-back negative quarters of GDP, which has always been sort of accepted as recession. Uh, now, the National Federation of Economic uh, Research, I think the National Bureau of Economic Research that does the um, official timestamp. By the way, they have never officially been given that job. It's always been a de facto given that they're the ones who timestamp recessions. Uh, about two years ago, I delved into each member just to see where their political leanings were and their economic leanings, and they're overwhelmingly on the left. There was one guy from Reagan's era who's, who's still on the, on the thing, and it shocked me at some of the economic theories that some of them believe in. By the way, Janet Yellen's economic theories, I think, would shock people. I encourage everyone to go read and listen to the work of her and her husband. Extremely left-leaning. Now, what she talks about a lot is that her dad was a, um, a dentist, I think. He was a local doctor dentist. And they lived in a mixed neighborhood with some rich people, some poor people, which is like a lot of neighborhoods, right? Because you got to have a poor neighborhood near a rich neighborhood so someone cleans the houses. Um, and her, her dad would waive the fee for poor people, and that kind of guided her life. Uh, and so 
it's hard. We already see a lot of people saying they're in a personal recession. Like there was a YouGov survey recently, and just people are saying it's just tough because the misinformation in the media is when inflation goes from 9% to 3% that they they, they conflate that with prices. Mm -hmm. Prices aren't coming down. The rate of increasing is declining, but they're still going up. So if they go up a whole bunch and they still edge a little bit higher, that's a personal recession for most people. So uh, whether we get an official recession remains to be seen. A lot of it depends on the so-called lag effect. Um, that that uh, obviously the Fed must recognize right now because they made a major major U-turn just week just a couple of weeks before into to that meeting that turned this whole market around. So that's something of, of a wild card. <clears throat> I don't think we'll have any sort of economic growth, though, right? We know the economy is slowing. The big debate has been whether it's a hard landing or soft landing. But we know that it's coming down. And, and how smoothly it lands remains to be seen. But I don't think it's going to matter much to the public. I think that's going to be an academic discussion. I think for the public, um, the case is closed, that people are hurting right now, overwhelmingly. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Charles, you know, you're talking about 2024 and the anticipated rate cuts that are coming. But a question that's out there is whether Jerome Powell is motivated to deliver these rate cuts to juice the market to help Biden uh, as he's campaigning for reelection. And the background of all of this, as we all know, you know, Powell's job is also kind of hanging in the balance because whoever is elected next gets to either keep him or replace him. And it was Trump. That put him and, you know, nominated him as chairman in the first place. So it's very interesting kind of dynamic here. What do you think? It's very interesting. But like Supreme Court justices, sometimes the prior track record changes when a person gets that job and that title. Right. They, they, you know, so it's not necessarily political leanings anymore. But you bring up an amazing point because the Federal Reserve has tried to stay out of the election game. And unfortunately, Jay Powell will not have that luxury and you have to wonder, even with this early victory lap that caught a lot of people off guard but sent the stock market roaring, bond yields collapsing, was that politically motivated? A few days before that, President Biden mentioned the job, the Fed's job. Uh, he mentioned interest rates. Don't hike anymore. We had Janet Yellen on the offensive. Now, remember, Janet Yellen had this job, and to a large degree, she's overseeing Jay Powell right now. And she put out op-eds. She went out there. She talked about soft lending pretty loudly and clearly. And I do believe, I feel like that, uh, I wouldn't go as far as to saying it was election interference, but it was certainly nudging uh, by by the executive branch of the uh, of, of our government that we thought we thought was a no-go. We, we thought both sides would say, okay, listen, President Biden said as candidate Biden that he would never do that. And so he did change his mind. And that brings us to other reasons. The hallmark, one of the key things that <clears throat> Joe Biden wants to get done is this EV, clean climate uh, utopia. And 2023 has been an unmitigated disaster. And not just in America, around the world. 
Um, Germany is throwing in a towel on subsidies. They've subsidized this thing to the hilt, these EVs. China has subsidized them com- tremendously, but still there's no organic demand. Now there's no used car market for them. The ones that are uh, new dealer lots are piling up. We don't know what we're going to do with the batteries. And But the thing that threatens that whole whole area more than anything else are higher rates because mm. they need interest rates uh, to be to be much lower to fund those things. These are gargantuan, multi-billion-dollar projects, and you can almost argue it would be a huge gift to the administration, to Joe Biden, and that clean climate agenda if somehow yields and rates got dramatically lower, demonstratively lower. And yeah, you know, so there's a lot of of curiosity. There's a lot of anxiety about it now. Jay Powell. I think he's worried about his legacy as well, that the whole transitory thing. So he is so motivated internally to, to get rates down. And on top of that, I think he's getting the political wink, wink to go ahead and roll the dice. And that might not work out well for America. What should investors be thinking about when it comes to those rate cuts? It does seem that they're coming. You and I have discussed you know, what it means if it comes early in 2024, what it means if it comes later. How do you think about that and what do investors need to be thinking about that even setting aside all this political noise because at the end of the day uh it's about investing and making the best you know bang for your buck and your family so could it happen soon could happen later in the year what do investors need to be thinking about with rate cuts i think initially when the rate cuts come and if they come too quickly it's a sign that the fed went too far and the economy is in trouble uh and when the economy is in trouble that means fewer sales that means uh smaller profits but it's a temporary condition. So the market probably will go down initially. However, after that, it is at, it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's the stock market loves when the Fed is accommodative. They love when there's liquidity out there, free money. I want to read you just I'm going to give you an example. So back in November, December, financial conditions collapsed. And they were down more than 1%, which is a lot for financial conditions. This is as measured by Goldman Sachs. And throughout history, every time that has happened, going back to 1982, a year later, the S&P is up anywhere from 17% to 43% a year later. A year later, the Russell is up anywhere from 7% to 66%. Wow. And by the way, every single time that's happened – the two-month decline in financial conditions was this at this level or greater. The market has been up every single time a year later and every single time six months later except for once on the Russell. So the this stock is great market, news. Yeah, the stock market will <laughs> love it. The stock market will love it. But if inflation comes back, it would be really tough. And unfortunately, again, you would have folks who aren't in the stock market trying to make ends meet paying the brunt of the price for an economy that favors people who are invested. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, One of the things that you touched on that we're able to invest in in the market, but it very much impacts us, even for those that are not in the market, is energy and specifically the push for green energy and electric vehicles. When we look at an election year and the two sides, one side is very pro green energy, very pro EVs. They've created systems to artificially prop up that sector. The other side has been very clear, no matter what candidate you really look at on the GOP side, they're really much more about let the market work naturally, let people choose the kind of vehicles they want, and let's also have more energy independence for Americans. 
but we won't know who wins until November. When it comes to the different companies that work in the EV space, are you looking at them in an election year? And what should people think about with investing in green energy versus oil and gas? Well, you know, 2023 has been an unmitigated nightmare for that whole solar EV space. Uh, I know I'm in a stock called Enphase. I am down so much. I don't even know. I, you know, it's one of those things. I'm glad I'm young. I put it on the shelf. <laughs> and, uh, one day it'll be worth something. Um, it, it, it is about free choice, right, in America. I mean, we pride ourselves on that. And so the carrot hasn't worked um, when it when it's come to these. And, and, and part of it, it couldn't work. if uh, Tax credits uh, only can work for people who have, you know, the write-offs. You know, they can use, they can apply them. If you have a certain income, then these tax credits don't matter anyway. Um, but they laid it out there. They put out a lot of money to. And the sad thing is, they actually are paying the wealthier people in America money to buy a car, uh, or you know, an SUV, whatever the whatever the EV right. might happen to be. But the America has America has rejected it, and I tell people all the time. It's not the first time, right? This is this happened in 1900. In 1900, you had three forms of automobiles. You had the steam engine, the electric engine, and the internal combustion engine. The one with the smallest market share was internal combustion engines. The steam engine had a slightly bigger one than EVs. Then this guy named Ford created a, a product called the Model T. You can buy one for 600. The electric cars are 2400. And by 1930, the last electric company went out of business. I think it was called Detroit Electric. So, again, this is tough. This would be a tough, bitter pill for those who really believe in the climate utopia, which, by the way, it's not an economic thing. There's, they, they try to add the veneer of economics to it, but it's it's something different, uh, and it, it would be a huge blow to them. So. Uh, they wouldn't. They don't want to let it go, but the American public have spoken pretty loud, pretty pretty clear. And now this. By the way, I mentioned the carrot, the stick part of this is uh, these uh, these cities and states that are saying, and even nations, saying that by X date, by all, yeah, right. by certain years, no more gas vehicles. I know right. New Jersey, where I hail from, is one of those states. Right, right. California and the, and there's many that right. have put goals. That say no more gas vehicles right. after a certain date. Right, and that and that right there feels unconstitutional. Again, it limits our, our ability to do these things. It seems economically stupid uh, because again we have this an abundance of cheap crude oil under our feet that could power our economy. You can't. I, what they want, I mean, you, you need energy to have prosperity. They go hand in hand. You cannot have prosperity without energy. When they're going to back us into a corner where we would not be able to fuel. A prosperous America. I mean, energy to prosperity, I think, is so key. And it couldn't be more true now when we're looking on the global stage how important it is for a strong economy and a strong America when we have so many wars and things going on internationally um, and during an election year. So important energy. But I also, before I let you go, want to know what other sectors you're looking at in an election year. Energy is obviously big. We've talked about the Fed that's separate of the election, but as we've discussed, maybe some things intertwined. But what are we missing? What sectors are you looking at in 2024 and election year? You know, I look at all sectors. Um, what I'm really more concerned about is um, policies that invite individual achievement and policies that deter it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just I prefer uh, that people are encouraged to go in their garage and and re and and invent a better mousetrap, knowing that the, the, if they're successful, they can become wealthy. Uh, 
and 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 or you know going to the garage and building a better mousetrap and if they're successful they can be punished you know by the government taking all their money i think the economic backdrop is the most important thing because it's like a, we're such a wealthy nation there's there's going to always be winners even within individual sectors for the most part that's why i believe in stock picking i'm not you know even though i talk about the stock market i'm all about owning great companies that you can get at discounted values uh, and 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 that means management, uh, company execution, and ultimately the potential of that company. So I don't want to necessarily uh, exclude any any okay. industry. I just think more broadly, though, we want the economic backdrop that says, "Hey, a you can pull yourself up by the bootstraps, and when you're encouraged to do that, you're going to not only be successful, but you're going to carry a lot of people along with you. The small business owner starts off by themselves. Eventually, they have one employee, then ten. That's the way it works, and, and that's what I want to see. I want to see a broad prosperity for this nation. And the one thing I will say for anyone is that you have to participate. You know, the stock market is such that you must participate in it. Let me tell you about the fix being in. So we've gone from 8,000 publicly traded companies to 4,000. They're always pouring money into this economy, right? They pour so much money into this, and it always ends up with corporations, it always ends up at the bottom line. It'll eventually send stock prices higher. And it's just crazy. This is the system we're in. This is the hand we've been dealt. Take advantage of it. Nothing is stopping anyone except themselves. No, you can't buy a million shares of XYZ tomorrow. Get in the game. Stay in the game. Uh, you know, there'll be some tough times. But ultimately, ultimately, if you do this right, it will change your life. Amazing. Charles, thank you so much. That will do it for our roundtable discussion. By now, you have a pretty good idea about how you should be investing your money in 2024. Despite the uncertainty that a presidential race holds, I know Charles has made it very clear. You need to be investing during an election year no matter what. So don't be scared. Use what you've learned and get in the investing game. That's right. And if listeners want even more guidance about how they should be investing in 2024, they should tune into Charles's town hall on Thursday, January 18th at 2 p.m. Eastern. You're not going to want to miss it as Charles gives more advice, speaks with experts, and answers the burning questions from real Americans investing in the stock market. Thank you so much for listening. Hopefully now all of our listeners are on the right track to becoming unbreakable and investing with confidence. Make sure you download the next episode of Charles Payne's Unstoppable Prosperity Podcast. Thanks so much to Charles for sharing that financial wisdom. And until next time, I'm Madison Allworth. And I'm Lydia Hu. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. You've been listening to the Charles Payne's Unstoppable Prosperity Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to this series and don't forget to rate and review. And keep listening so I can help put you on the path to unstoppable prosperity now. Now.